Hey, will you open your Bibles to the book of Haggai? Now, 90% of you probably went, what is Haggai? Maybe you've never heard of this book before, but yes, it is in the Bible. If you go to the book of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, and you just go back a couple books in the Old Testament, you will find a small, small book of Haggai. It's in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. A lot of Z's, so, so don't sleep on me tonight. There's too many Z's already. Uh, thank you. Hey, during World War II, uh, there was this pastor named Herschel Hoff. Now, some of you guys might recognize the name. He's a famous pastor uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, in, in Oklahoma, Baptist pastor. He pastored FBC Oklahoma for many years. He was uh, instrumental in Oklahoma Baptist life, but also in the Southern Baptist life. Uh, defending the truth of God uh, when the convention was going awry. Uh, But during World War II, he was the pastor of a church in Alexandria, Louisiana. And while he was there, uh, it was at a time where they were building a natural gas pipeline from South Texas to the east, to the eastern part of the United States. And as he was a pastor during this time in Louisiana, after one service he had preached, there was an invitation for people to come up, make a decision, giving their life to Jesus or join the church in membership. There was this couple that came up and said, hey, we want to join the church. He's like, that's awesome. It's it's awesome to see people want to join in membership in the church. But he said, hey, we're only going to be here six weeks. It's like, that, that doesn't really make sense. If you understand church membership, it's saying, hey, I want to be a part of this local body, and I want to be an active part of the life of this church. I want to be involved and serve and in in whatever way that we can. So usually you don't join something and say, hey, in six weeks I'm out, I'm peacing out. And the question is like, okay, why are you leaving in six weeks? Well, it turns out that the husband worked for this pipeline company, and he was going along the pipeline from South Texas all the way to the east, and about every six weeks they moved a considerable distance. But he said that him and his wife, obviously they were going to be on this project for a long time, And they didn't want to be away from the body of Christ for that long. So about every six weeks, they pick a church that's a drivable distance, and they are involved in the life of the church for those six weeks. And then once those six weeks are up, they move to the next drivable distance church, and they're involved for six weeks. There's some people that go on vacation that much away from the local body, and they don't even think about it. But this couple was committed. They wanted to be a part of the life of the church. Commitment is a rarity these days. It is not very likely that you will find a lot of committed teens, committed young adults in our culture. It's kind of rubbing the opposite way. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I love college football. Uh, And moving to Oklahoma, I've joined in on the OU bandwagon. Uh, But I love watching recruiting. I love, like, seeing all, you know, if they're going to get the five stars, the four stars, all those things. And I see a lot of high school athletes commit to a school, and then what happens? Something better comes along, they decommit and then recommit somewhere else. I see a lot of high schoolers and middle schoolers commit to an event, commit to hanging out with their family, commit to hanging out with a friend, but last minute, something better comes up, right? Maybe that girl finally texts you back and says, hey, let's hang out. Or your friend says, hey, let's do this. So you're like, see you, family, I'm out. That happened to any of y'all? There's this culture where we don't commit. When we see that, in our social media, in our, in our screen time, that we, 
unknowingly commit most of our time during the day looking at a screen rather than committing to learning more in God's Word. This idea of commitment is lost in today's generation, and in fact, across many generations. But as we open up this, what you may be thinking, a weird sermon series, when we open up the book of Haggai, this theme of commitment you will see throughout. It's only two chapters, but you will see this theme of commitment. In this, you see Haggai, this prophet, asking, calling the Israelites out to commit to the rebuilding of the Lord's temple. Commit to continue putting the Lord in the center of their life. So this thought I want you to think of tonight and for the next three weeks. Your commitment to God should be above everything else in your life. Your commitment to God should be above everything else to your in your life, rather than academics and athletics, anything else. Your commitment to the Lord must be above that. Let's pray as we open God's word. God, we thank you uh, for these students. We thank you for this opportunity to gather. Lord, we thank you that your word is trustworthy. Lord, we thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is inspired, all of it is profitable, all of it is good for us, for training in righteousness. And Lord, I pray in this book of Haggai, this short book, Lord, that you would expose sin in our life, that you would encourage us and point us to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, and we we ask that you would encourage us tonight. Amen. All right, we're going to be going through the first 11 verses as Zach read at the beginning of the service. And I have three points for you tonight, three simple points. The first one is this. Your priorities do not come from the culture, but from the Lord. Your priorities do not come from the culture, but from the Lord. Verse 1, in the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, that's a lot of names there. As we go into this book, I want to give you guys kind of an overview, a context of where we're at, because this is kind of an off book that many of us may have never read, uh, read before. So in this, this is taken in the year of 520 B.C. And you say, what does that even mean? Like, what is the purpose of knowing it's in 520 B.C.? Well, about 60 years earlier, in about 586, you have the destruction of Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and ransacked Jerusalem. They tore everything down. They killed tons and tons of people. They tore down the temple and they exiled the Jews. They exiled them out of Jerusalem. And they were gone for a long time. And at the writing of this book, for about 16 to 18 years, the, the Jews were allowed to come back to Jerusalem under the rule of Darius and Cyrus that they were allowed to come back to the city of Jerusalem. But they had been exiled for about 40 years. We know that the, the author of this book is Haggai. It bears his name. We don't know a ton about Haggai uh, throughout Scripture, but we do now know that he is one of the Lord's prophets. So we see the context is that these Israelites, these Jews, have been back in Jerusalem for about 16 years. And we have Haggai writing to these two individuals. You can name your kids this if you want, Zerubbabel. I tried that. Brittany didn't really want to name our kids Zerubbabel. It's a biblical name. Uh, But he was the governor of Judah at that time. He was the governor of Judah, and we see that he also addresses Joshua. 
who is the high priest at this time. Both have lineages to the, the priesthood, and Zerubbabel has a lineage to David's throne. So these are two important people, and Zerubbabel showing us the political power. He's representing, representing the, the political power, and Joshua is representing the religious authority. So when Haggai is writing to these two, he's, he's writing to all of culture. Everything is covered from politics to religion. He's writing to these, but he's also writing to these Jews that have come back into Jerusalem. One last thing, as we uh, are about to jump in, is that one of the central themes in this book is about rebuilding the temple. And you're going to continue to hear Haggai harp on uh, these Jews to get the temple rebuilt because they've been there for 16 to 18 years and it hasn't been rebuilt. And like, what, what's the big matter with that? Well, the temple in this day was the center of the Jews' life. It was the center of their life. It was where the presence of God dwelled. It was where the central part of where they, they gave their sacrifices, everything was at the temple. So if something is supposed to be at the, the center of your life and it's been gone for 60 years, and especially 18 years as you've been back in Jerusalem, you might be, Haggai's thinking, what have you all been doing? If this is supposed to be the center of your life, and it's not, what, what have you been doing? So this is going to be a theme throughout that you will, you will see. If you look to verse 2, God's word says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Again, they've been there for 16 to 18 years, and they have not rebuilt it. But Haggai is quoting uh, the culture right now. The, the thing that he continually hears from these people is that it's not time to rebuild the temple. That the culture is saying, even though the government said you can rebuild the temple, there are some people in Jerusalem that said, no, do not rebuild it. So what did they do? Did they say, no, we're going to rebuild the temple, make sure it's the center of our life? No, once the culture pushed back on them, they stepped back and allowed the culture to set their priorities. And I think the culture is doing that today. They're, we're allowing the culture to inform our priorities. Let me tell you what, if you haven't been persecuted in, in you know, first world problems, ways from our culture, it's happening. It's going to happen. People are pushing back on conservative Christianity. People that believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that every word is inspired, and that it's what we're to live by. It's the truth that we live by. If you believe Jesus is the only way to salvation, people will push back on you. And you have the opportunity to stand firm in your faith, or when they push back, that you step back. Because these Israelites in this moment are allowing the culture to dictate their agenda. You're, they're allowing the culture to inform their priorities. I don't know if you guys have seen this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Anybody seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Uh, it's a pretty terrifying uh, documentary as you watch it because it shows the impact of our social medias on our thinking and how big tech and all these social medias are way smarter than we give them credit for. The info they're throwing at us, the way they're making us think. I mean, if you just think back in the year of 2020, all of the things that are happening, right? You have the, uh, a global pandemic. You have Tiger King. You have... You have social unrest, political unrest, racial unrest. You have seniors not getting to graduate. You, your school, your spring break is canceled. Your summer activities are canceled. Your school is canceled and you're now doing an A-B schedule. All of these things are happening 
And all of social media is trying to inform you of how, how to think. And the, the problem is we're allowing that to inform our priorities. When Haggai is clearly telling them, do not listen to the culture. Do not let the culture inform your priorities. And when we let it inform our priorities, we make excuses all of the time. We're called to go and tell others about Jesus, right? The Great Commission, go tell them and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we make excuses anytime we can find them. We'll find the excuse that we're busy. We'll find the excuse that we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We're, we're not good enough at sharing the gospel. And when we continue to let the culture dictate our priorities, we'll be saying, well, I was going to share the gospel. It just wasn't the right time. There's many of us that are waiting for the right time to share the gospel with our friends. Let me tell you this. If you're waiting for a moment for a light to shine down on you and your friend and an angel come down floating down from heaven and look at you, look at you and say, hey, it's go time, you are never going to evangelize to your, your friends. When we let the culture inform us and we step back when it pushes back, we will never live on mission for God. We will continue to live for the culture rather than for the Lord. That is something that we need to recognize as believers because the culture will continue to inform if we do not stay grounded in God's word. Verse 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Again, he's continually saying this is just an affirmation that this word is not just Haggai's own political agenda. It's not just the word that he's saying. It's coming from the Lord. Verse 4 reads, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Haggai is making an immediate contrast between the Jews and the temple of God. Because the Jews, they've been living there for 16 to 18 years, and records show that they're building these ornate houses, these beautiful houses that they're living in. And he's saying, how are you living in these paneled houses, these beautiful ornate houses, while the temple of the Lord is laid in ruins. That doesn't make sense. And when we begin to live by what the culture tells us to do, let's just go over this. What is is the culture trying to tell you to do? What is the culture, what priorities are the culture trying to tell you? They're trying to tell you, hey, just do whatever you feel. Do whatever you feel is right, because feeling is is over truth. They tell you to focus on yourself. I don't know how many times I've told people, people have told me, hey, in this time, you just need to focus on yourself. You just need to treat yourself and focus on yourself. Hey, just just be selfish with your time. That's what culture is telling you. Culture is telling you to get popular on social media. And that may be starting to take more pictures that show a little bit more skin to put on Instagram so people will like and follow you. It may be doing a video on TikTok that has some cuss words or some inappropriate themes just because it's funny and you think more people repost it and you'll get more followers. Culture is also trying to tell you that your truth is king. That there's no absolute truth in whatever you believe. No one can trump that. No one can tell you that it's wrong. They also are telling you to build your own kingdom. Make sure you take care of you before anybody else. Make sure that you are building your platform. But again, as Haggai contrasts what the Israelites do and and what 
the, the Lord of the house is in ruins. Also, the contrast is, what is the Lord telling you to do? You see what the culture is telling us to do. What are the priorities that the Lord is calling us to? The Lord is telling us to follow God's will and not your heart. The Lord is telling us to consider others better than yourself. To get over yourself and not just to focus on you, but focus on others for the the sake of the kingdom. The Lord is telling you to trust in God's truth in Scripture, that that is the absolute truth. And God is telling you not to build your own kingdom, but to build His kingdom. That is where we need to make sure that we are grounded. We are not allowing the culture to inform the way we act, but allowing the Lord, because we see when the Israelites allowed it, They didn't live for the Lord. They didn't do anything for the Lord. And the Lord calls us to live for Him. The second point tonight is this. Your pursuit of you will never satisfy you, but only will destroy you. Your pursuit of you will never satisfy you, but only destroy you. Verse 5 says this. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Haggai is telling the Israelites, hey, stop. I want you to analyze what is going on. Just like I said earlier, in 2020, all of these events are going on, right? School is canceled. The pandemic's happening. Everything's getting canceled. The future doesn't look very good when you look at school and activities and all those things. And there's a lot of us, my fear is there's a lot of us, all these incredibly big things are happening and we're just going with the flow. We're just allowing whatever the culture is telling us, and we're just taking that in and going with the flow. And we're not looking and stopping in this time and saying, what path am I on? Am I going down the path that honors the Lord, or am I being selfish and lazy and dishonoring the Lord with the, my actions and what I'm doing? Am I, am I building disciplines, or am I getting lazy? Am I taking advantage of all this free time to learn more about God? Or am I taking all this free time to watch more TikTok? Consider your ways. I don't know about you guys, but when I turned 16, I wanted to drive all the time. And when I turned 16, I got a real nice car, a 1999 Buick Century Limited. It was maroon. The AC didn't work. The radio didn't work. It had nice leather seats. Man, I love driving that thing. And as I did with you know, any 16-year-old, I had, I had my friend drive his car, and we raced. Right? We raced in some neighborhoods. I don't acknowledge or I don't want to encourage that, but this is what we did. And we would race around his neighborhood. And we're driving real fast, going, I mean, we're just having the time of our life. We're driving. We're 16. We're in our sweet rides. And I'm trying to get some AC with the, the wind because my AC is not working. And we're driving real fast in circles. Until, all of a sudden, this mom jumps out in the middle of the road in front of my car to stop me. I'm like, oh, no. What is about to happen? She comes around to my side of the car, I roll my window down, and she chews me out. She, I mean, she is white hot, man. She's livid, and she looks at me and says, do you know how much your car weighs? I'm like, no, ma'am, I do not know how much my car weighs. I have no idea. Two tons or whatever it was. And she goes, do you know how fast you were going? Uh, 40 miles an hour? I don't really know. She goes, hey, did you know that my daughter was was on her bike on the sidewalk? 
right next to you as you guys sped across. Hey, did you know that she could have just randomly went out in the middle of the road not knowing, and you weren't paying attention, and you were just speeding, and you could have hit her. You could have killed her, ended her life, and impacted our family's life for the rest of our lives. I had very big eyes at that time. I stopped, and I had to consider what my actions were doing. What path was I going on? Was I considering other people? Or was I just being selfish and self-indulging with what I wanted to do? In this time, 2020, students, stop. Consider what path you are going on. Is it healthy? Most importantly, does it honor the Lord? Or is it self-serving? Haggai is telling us to stop and consider. Verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Any of you guys trick-or-treat a couple weeks ago? I had some high schoolers come to my door, literally with no costume on, with a Walmart bag. I looked at them, and we had some, like, chocolate candy, and we just we had some Rice Krispies, and I just looked at them, and I said, are you serious? I'm disappointed. What What are you, what are you thinking? Oh, uh, sorry, we just went out to get some candy. So I gave them a little piece of candy, right? Some of you guys went trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating's fun. I want you to imagine with me, you go trick-or-treating, and you got your bag already, you got your costume, you, your fit all down, you're going around to these neighborhoods. You're going to, like, the good neighborhoods with the big bars, right? You you all know those neighborhoods. And you're going around, and all night you're stuffing your bag with candy. You think, man, I got all the Reese's, the Kit Kats, the Hershey's. This is going to be, I'm going to be living large. But throughout the night, without your knowledge, there's a hole in the bottom of your bag. You keep putting candy in there, and you keep going house to house, and you're like, this is awesome. Uh, This is going to be the best Halloween ever. And you keep going, but you don't know that little by little, all of your candy is falling out of your bag. You get home, you open your bag with wide eyes, with great joy, and you look in and you see nothing. There's no candy in your bag, and you are crushed. Why do I tell that funny, just useless little story? Haggai here is telling them, you have sown much and you harvest little. You eat, but you're still hungry. You drink, and you're still thirsty. They will not be satisfied with what they're craving, what they're pursuing. The problem is that we view our satisfaction, we view our fulfillment like that trick-or-treat bag. We think if we can fill that bag up with all of the achievements, all the athletic achievements, all the academic achievements, all the followers, all the likes, all the popularity, the right boyfriend, girlfriend, the right college, that we will be fully satisfied. But the problem is that's never been the structure. That's never been the plan to fully satisfy you. Because the fact of the matter is that there's a hole in that bottom of the bag and you will never be full. You will never be satisfied. God's creation was never intended for your satisfaction, but for his glory. It was always meant to point to the creator and not for us to find our satisfaction in the creation. Yet we continue to try to fill our bags. And the Israelites are continually trying to fill their bags with satisfaction apart from God. 
They're sowing, but they're harvesting little. They're, they're eating, but they're always hungry. They're, they're, they're drinking, but they're always thirsty. They put clothes on, but they're never warm. When you let the culture inform your priorities, when you live for the culture, when you live for creation, you will never be satisfied. Satisfaction is not found in a trick-or-treat bag. It's found at the foot of the cross. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not in worldly pleasures. Not in worldly successes. Satisfaction is found in Christ alone. Verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Students, consider your ways. Are you trying to fill up a trick-or-treat bag full of success, full of satisfaction, full of fulfillment? Because it never will satisfy you. It never will fulfill you. So what do we do from here? Verse 8 tells us, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. There's too many times we come to church, we come to Wednesday night, we come to Sunday morning, we come to Sunday night and we hear the right things. We hear the good things. Right? We hear that we're in sin. You're living in sin. Yet we do nothing about it. We go back and we live our life like we never entered into this building. Like we never sat under the teaching of God's word that convicts. Haggai says, hey, Israelites, as I'm calling you out, don't just sit there and sulk. Don't just sit there and do nothing. Go to the woods, grab a tree, and start building the temple of God. He's saying, put God back at the center of your life. And students, stop scrolling. Stop wasting time on worldly things and make sure God is at the center of your life. Because He is the only one that satisfies. My last point is this. You will not prevail living outside of God's will. You will not prevail living outside of God's will. Verse 9 through 11, you look for much And behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth and on man, and on beast, and on all their labor. The Lord will not honor your lifestyle if it's living outside of what He has called you to do in Scripture. You can't be feeling a certain feeling and start living that way and never talk to the Lord, never address Scripture and how Scripture speaks to it, and think you are living inside of the will of God. See, These people living in in Jerusalem at this time, they weren't consulting God. They were just living their own life, never consulting God, never seeking Him out. And they were unsatisfied. But they can't go around saying they were living in God's will because they never actually talked to God. And there's some of you making massive decisions in your life that are outside of the will of God, but you've never even addressed God about the matter. 
whether it be with your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe your college education, maybe you're struggling with some, some issues. The Lord has called us to live within his will, to seek him every day. And the fact of the matter is, they were living outside the will of God, so God says, I took my blessing away from you. You harvested and you didn't get much. You ate, but you were hungry. I took the dews away so that your land would not produce. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying, hey, if you start living in the will of God, you start reading your Bible, you're about to get rich. You're about to be prosperous. That's not what I'm saying. Because Scripture tells us otherwise, that we will suffer for the sake of the gospel. Right? People lose their lives for the sake of Jesus. And we're called to live wholeheartedly like that. But you can't think that you are going to flourish in life, that you're going to find satisfaction outside of what God has designed in His Word. That means in the choices that you make on a Friday night, the choices you make on a Tuesday night when the doors are closed on your phone, the choices and conversations you have online with other people, with the things you look at, with the things that you're exploring in, The fact of the matter is that our actions never happen in isolation. They always have consequences, sometimes good and sometimes bad. But our actions never happen in isolation. They always have consequences. So where does that leave us? I mean, Haggai goes in. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't just you know, tiptoe around the subject. He's going in on these people. Where does that leave us? Hopefully it, it leaves us convicted, right? To not build our own kingdom, but to build the kingdom of God, to let the Lord inform our priorities. So wh what do we do? How do we walk out of here encouraged to be obedient? The answer is Jesus. To look to Jesus, because guess what? Jesus informs us of our priorities. We don't have to think of those ourselves, but Jesus gives us our priorities through his word, through his death and resurrection. Jesus is the one that fully satisfies us through his death and resurrection on the cross, right? That's where we find our identity as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Full satisfaction comes from Jesus. And we also see that Jesus prevailed over sin on our behalf. That we don't, we can't make up, we can't earn our salvation, we can't do enough good things to make up for the wrong things that we've done. But it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we walk out of here, we look to Jesus. Now, for those that are believers tonight, stop. Consider your ways. Are you honoring the Lord? Or are you living a self-indulgent life? Has your commitment faded and gone to something else? Have you started building your own kingdom? As verse 8 says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. Repent. Turn away from our self-indulging lifestyles, our commitments that are away from the Lord, and run to Jesus. Practically, what's that look like? Make sure you're in God's word each and every single day because it will inform you, it will encourage you, 
God will speak to you through his word. Spend time with him. Pray to him. Non-believers in the room, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you tired? Are you unfulfilled, unsatisfied? Have you tried finding identity in other places? Again, leaving dissatisfied? Jesus is here to save you. To give you rest. To give you a new identity. And all you got to do is accept it. You can't earn it. You can't fill a bag. You accept this free gift. So bow your heads and let me pray for us as the band comes up. If you're in this room tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, He is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. People are here to talk to you. We have sponsors in the back that would love to talk to you in person. So as we're singing, you go back there and talk with them. Or if you feel comfortable, you have those sermon notes on your on your pew. Fill that out at the bottom to I made a decision for Jesus. Or if you want to ask more questions, we would love to talk with you. For those believers tonight, stop. Consider your ways. Lord, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message from Haggai. Lord, I pray that our student body here, everyone in this room would stop and consider our ways. Are we committed to you or are we committed to ourselves? Are we letting the culture reign as king in our life or are we letting you, Lord, reign in our life? Are we trying to find satisfaction outside of you? Lord, I pray that you convict us and turn our hearts to you, that the only thing that we would desire is you. God, give us strength. Give us passion. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you gave us your son, Jesus. Amen. Will you all stand and sing?